0: July 28, of 2008, started as a regular working day. You know, I went to work, got out of work at 5.30 in the afternoon, went to my car. At exactly the moment that I was going to turn my engine on, uh, I heard the first scream. At the moment, I said, well, somebody's playing a joke on somebody. And the second scream came. You could tell that it was not a joke anymore. Somebody jumped into a car, and the car took off. I started chasing the car, started yelling, you know, get the license plates. And at the same time, I'm looking for this person that was screaming. At 1925 Century Park East, you have a male beating a female on the third level of the parking lot. I? I looked and I just saw a, a pile, like like a pile of clothes, you know, like like when you're gonna do your laundry and you put all the clothes. And you know, I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. You know, And I said, what What is that? trying to figure out what's going on. And she turned around and looked at me. Her hair was dripping, you know? I could see her blood just dripping from her hair and her eyes were the only thing that wasn't covered with blood. Her eyes were wide open. You could see the fear in her eyes. And she looked at me and it felt like her, her stare. You know, where went right through me. Uh, that I'll never forget.
1: Welcome to Outline of a Murder, the true crime podcast that goes into the why. I am your host Sherry Wilson, and with me is Mom. Now, I don't know if many of you know this. But she has been on so many cruises that they've named a ship after.
2: Uh, They should.
1: I mean, how many cruises do you think you've been on? 30. That's it? Yeah, probably 30. That's it. Seems like hundreds. And I went
2: with you on one. Yes, yes, yes. That
1: was fun. I uh, made the mistake of applying um, essential oil, orange, and grapefruit facial products and came back to the ship looking like I had a skin disease. But other than that, it was great.
2: It was a fun cruise. <laughs> that was fun. And now we're doing a podcast together.
1: We are. And when we originally talked about doing a podcast, it was going to be on like murders or disappearances on cruise ships, which there's actually quite a bit. There is. But it was really hard to find any good cases that you had Mm -hmm. lots of good information so we switched it up and we decided to do a podcast that will hopefully help people by breaking it down that's why we call it an outline of a murder breaking down the murder and extracting some good information for people to hopefully be safe and recognize predators
2: it's a little different from the regular podcast it is yeah
1: because i like solved cases a lot of my favorite podcasts do unsolved and i do appreciate that type of work But I like the solved ones, and I did not want to do just all unsolved. They'd bug me. And uh, so I thought it was a good combination to help people and do some cases that we know who did it. And at our mid... uh, Probably mid-year, yeah, mini-series. Mid-year, we do the Mm -hmm.
2: mini-series, and it's going to be in the uh, 40s and 50s cases. Well, and
1: even back into 15-something
2: Oh, that's going to be yeah, wonderful. Countess
1: Elizabeth of Bathoria, I believe is uh, the name of it. She's one of the most prolific serial killers in history.
2: Oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, and
1: I think it's over in the part of the world where uh, Count Dracula really? and all of them mm-hmm. came from. Yeah, I haven't. I don't remember that case.
2: I, I don't know all the cases. When I, I'm surprised just like you guys are.
1: Yeah, our mid-season uh, shows are not the season shows where we're extracting information for people to help. They're more just discussing true crime. Right. Because we like it, you know, and we theme them. So, yeah, it, that should drop March of 2022. Okay, good. Okay. Today's case is the murder of Pamela Fayed. Have you heard of that one? No. Okay. This is exciting because normally you've heard of of most of them. This is the best example so far of how stupid criminals can be because, you know, we talk about they're not smart. They're just lucky.
2: Well, we've had a few stupid ones.
1: Yes. And the more I study these cases, the more I realize how dumb they are. But they again are lucky because people are naive, they don't think that they're going to be murdered. Obviously, you can't live life like that. And some
2: of the, of the murderers are real intelligent, mm-hmm. successful, business, sec,
1: yeah, successful. And then some are dumber than a sack full of hammers yeah, they and are. they have no life. <laughs> yes, ambition. they are. Yes, <laughs> but this one the, the level of stupidity, but you know, I wonder if it's actually arrogance. You know, because, again, a lot of people, they're not going to murder if they think they're going to get caught. They murder because they think they can get away with it.
2: Smart enough to get away with yeah. it. Yeah.
1: So they have, like, this hubris, this pride that thinks they can. And this, I think, definitely plays in this case. I think it was definitely in the one of uh, Sheila Bellish.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, was her millionaire one her husband did. was yes. very
1: arrogant. Now, you know... They did end up killing people, so obviously they had to have some planning skills, etc. But maybe um, the listeners can, you know, drop a line on Instagram or our Facebook page and tell us if they think our killers smart or are they stupid but lucky? We'd love to hear that.
2: And also, if you have any cases you want us to do
1: yes. that interest you, yes. We definitely uh, are open to all kinds of suggestions. The only requirement as far as the season shows is they do have to have that, you know, um, I guess you would say part where there were red flags. There were things that people could do to where they can maybe um, prevent a crime. But if you have anything that you want us to do on a mid-season miniseries, then let us know. Yeah, because ours is
2: to help people. Mm -hmm. Yes. About red flags and
1: And we normally have uh, our wine, but it is in the morning. We're doing a batch processing before tacos. (laughs) So, if you have a good wine you'd like to recommend, we do like sweet or very uh, smooth. We don't like a lot of tannins.
2: Because we're new at the wine.
1: Yes, we're newbies. Now, Mm -hmm. my sister, who would normally be with us, she's not. So, if y'all want to recommend some like little known, like best kept secret wines, go ahead and drop us a line on Instagram. Okay, so this case takes place in Century, California. Are you? I know where that is. Because you're yeah. from California. Yeah, I know where that is. I didn't know that Century, California is actually part of, it's like a neighborhood in a business district of L.A.
2: Yes, Century, it is. It's close to, uh, I believe, Hollywood area.
1: Well, it is. It's about 10 miles west of the downtown area of uh, L.A., mm-hmm. and the crime takes place in a parking garage at Watt Plaza, on July 28th, 2008. Century was originally the back lot of 20th Century Fox. So really? that's why they call it Century City. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I know where that is. And I still don't recognize the case yet.
1: And they also have the 20th Century Fox still have their headquarters there. It's home to like agents, film producers, and lawyers. Really? Which I could see that. So it's
2: still in the Hollywood mm-hmm. district.
1: Yeah. Pamela and her husband had just met with their respective lawyers to discuss an investigation into their Goldfinger business, which I'll explain what all that was. It was right. kind of confusing, so I, hopefully I broke it down to where it sounds simple enough to understand. They were also going through a bitter divorce. After the three-hour meeting, Pamela walked out of the offices at 6.30 p.m. It was still daylight, because you know, it was July. Right proceeded alone to her vehicle that was parked on the third floor of a parking garage next to the lawyer's offices. Not long after entering the garage, her blood-curdling screams pierced the area, and people started walking toward the screams, except for one person. So I want to show you the picture of that, because they got it on video camera. So this is after she starts screaming, and you can see... All the people, even this man down here, starting to turn toward the screams because the garage is over here. But notice that guy down in the corner
2: with the white shirt on. These mm-hmm. pictures are on uh, outlineofamurderpodcast dot mm-hmm. com
1: and on Instagram. I as do well. remember
2: this picture. Okay, but that's about it. So
1: you've probably seen the case in. Yep. But yes, it's it's very interesting. So this is her walking to her car after the meeting, and again the screams. And he's on his cell phone, so that's not smart. Number one,
2: it's pretty ballsy to do it when there's people around, a mm-hmm. busy area, mm-hmm. and it's daylight.
1: And it's it's like even though you and your you know wife are about to be ex you know exes, and you you're, you've got this contentious divorce, anyone that there's a blood curdling scream is going to by nature turn toward the scream unless you're involved involved in the murder
2: we would hope they would turn into it but yeah human nature i would think so
1: yeah so this was um definitely the first clue wow so your dishwasher i guess is done (laughs) but this is a first clue that he was involved by the way guys we're literally sitting in the kitchen and you know in the evenings we have our wine and we sit around the table and we talk um but You know, it's a little active in a house, so please excuse all the noises.
2: We try to keep it inactive, but poor husbands are confined (laughs)
1: outside. They
2: still come in
1: (laughs) and get dog treats.
2: (laughs) Yes. Oh, Susan.
1: So, uh, you know, again, that's a little bit weird to the police officers. But
2: I don't think, if I remember, that they noticed this right away.
1: No because when they time. went mm. back and they looked at the cuz they're looking for any suspicious characters mm. you know that might have killed her cuz they didn't know if it was just a random you know like mugging mm-hmm. stranger on stranger killing but when they start looking through the footage they're like wait a minute why is he not turning toward the screams when everybody else is and then they realize it was her husband she was attacked from behind as she went to get her car keys out of her purse And and by the way, guys, even in the daytime, a lot of cars now, you don't have to have even your keys, which is fine. But uh, get them out first. I always did that, especially at night. I would have my keys in my hand. And the other thing I would do is I would actually have a key between my fingers... Because if I ever had to defend myself, I was going to have something there. Yeah.
2: And that can do a lot of damage.
1: Yeah. Now, I don't even have to have my keys, so a lot of times I don't have them in my hands. But anyway, so make sure you just have your car keys out. But either way, she probably wouldn't have had time because they came at her from behind. She was stabbed 13 times in the head, neck, and chest. She had defensive wounds on her arms, and then her throat was slit. You know what's interesting
2: about that? Killers don't get this, apparently, or don't watch true crime, but when there's so many stabbing or stab wounds, it's personal. It says it's personal.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: A robber or a thief or just a murderer is going to stab you once or twice
1: Mm -hmm. because the goal
2: is to kill you.
1: Unless they're fighting, and then maybe they'll have to just keep attacking, keep attacking until they stop moving. But yeah, so she was stabbed all over the the top part of her body, and her neck was slashed. Yes, slit. When the first witness arrived at the blood uh, crime scene, the bloody crime scene, she stood up. So she's not dead. Oh, she stood up, covered in blood except for her eyes. So the only thing that was not covered were her eyes, her clothes, her hair. They couldn't even tell that she was a blonde. Everything was covered. I can't
2: believe she could stand up after that kind of attack.
1: And here's what's sad, is she reached out her arms to the witness and said, help me.
2: Oh, no. That witness going to live with that the rest of her life?
1: Yep. It was I'm a sure they
2: tried. I'm sure he tried to help her.
1: He did. And it would also be scary.
2: Yes. You know, the
1: whole thing would be scary to me. Again, we talked about the violence, how it shifts something in the atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like just the eeriness of it, the fear, uh, terror actually would be a better word that she probably felt. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. And then he, you know, thinks she's dead and then she stands up with her arms out. It's just, mm-hmm. again, and she was a mother. So she I had two kids. She had I believe two daughters and her I'm sure her mother instinct was to try to live but there's more to that that we'll get into uh, toward the end of the podcast about uh, her relationship with her daughters and what she told them before she died the killers were in an SUV that parked behind her vehicle see again I guess from what it sounds like because if I see anyone parked behind my vehicle I'm going to pause I'm not going to come near them. So I think what happened is she was going to her door. She was digging for her keys. They were probably waiting for her, you know, on the outskirts. And as soon as they saw her, they drove and got behind her car so that if she tried to get in and back up, she couldn't have.
2: That makes more sense. If I see someone behind my car, it depends, you know, like if they're just straight behind. Mm Mm-hmm. Or parked, like parking right behind mm-hmm. their front to my back. I'd be suspicious, too. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: I've been on walks. You know, of course, when I go on walks in the winter, I look like the bomber. I'm sure right. y'all can look at that picture on Instagram. So I probably scare people. Well, I did that day. Small children. Right. Uh, but when I go for walks, I remember one time, because I'm always aware, I'm always caring and I was coming back up the other side, I uh, had done half of my walk and a car like pulled up real quick over to the curb and I, and I stopped immediately and I was ready. I'm like, run, you know, what, what do I need to do here? And they got out and they checked something in the, the back of the vehicle and it was a lady and, uh, and then she got back in and then she sat there. And so I waited. I don't care if you look like you're, you know, a maybe upper middle class lady on the side of the road. No. I ain't walking past that car until you go.
2: Someone could walk up. Are you
1: okay? What's up? And in you go. Right. Quickly. And so she. it looked like she was on the <laughs> photo that she drove off. And, you know, again, people are like, man, you know, you, you might be a little bit paranoid. This stuff saved me from being kidnapped in Alabama, like we talked about the right, first right. season. I mean, this is, these are things that I don't live in fear, but I am always aware of what's going on, especially when I'm alone or traveling and things like that.
2: Fear is different from being cautious. It is.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being smart. That's why Mm -hmm. it's be smart. You know, be rude to people if... You know, they don't leave you alone or they're trying to, you know, get you to do something you want to do, especially females traveling. I think they are sometimes easy targets because they're female. And so people will come up, hey, you know, can I borrow some money or hey, can I? And they'll try to pressure you and you have to get rude. You do have to
2: get
0: rude. And
1: that can be hard for people, but it can save you. It saved me. And uh, so they parked behind her vehicle, and then a tall, skinny male wearing a black hooded sweatshirt and jeans jumped out and attacked her. It took, get this, only one to three minutes. That was a quick attack. Yes. And then it was Edward Rivera who saw the assailant. He couldn't see his face, but he also saw two more men inside the vehicle waiting. I don't know why you need a group to go and kill someone, but anyway. Which so is always were bad watching. because...
2: Three, three, one. I mean, one will start talking, Mm -hmm. or both, Mm -hmm. or all. Because there's no
1: honor among criminals. They think there is, but there's not. If they can save themselves. Now, some scary ones, they'll keep their mouth shut, but most people, they want the deal. Because naturally, you talk.
2: Yes. And something in your mind like that, you're going to talk to somebody. Someone, a girlfriend, a husband, a friend. Someone. And even
1: good people... Their self-interest is built into them. You know, like, it's in your self-interest to survive. It's in your self-interest. So when you are sitting in an interrogation room and cops are telling you, whoever talks first, they don't get the death penalty. Yep. Which in California, they don't need to worry about it. To them, them it's like,
2: let's flip a coin. Whoever gets heads or tails, you can open a Christmas present.
1: Mm -hmm. Someone's
2: going to do it. Mm -hmm. It's Just psychologically, that's just what you do. Oh,
1: I'd be the one doing it.
2: We, I would you, want my you Christmas, love Christmas immediately. So we like I would go love my Christmas now. It's Christmas. like
1: September twelfth. Do you have any presents for me yet? Like, I have can to, I start Christmas, opening? them? I
2: have to send the Christmas to her husband. <laughs> in the past, now I'm not sure. I've grown as a person. Yes, and she because she opens them. You can't open Christmas in November. Yeah, you can. Well, you can.
1: <laughs> okay. anyway, regular people. Back to anyway, the show. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> LAPD detective Eric Spear arrived shortly after Pamela's body had been removed. The crime scene revealed how brutal it was. Later, Detective Spear uh, would testify on the amount of blood. He said it was, quote, a violent attack and just brutal. Her white shirt was soaked in blood. You couldn't even tell it was white. Pamela's purse, wallet, money were still at the crime scene. So again, they knew it wasn't a robbery, which, again, even if you're focused on just killing, take the purse or something to throw it off. I mean, I guess I shouldn't give killer tips. (laughs) But I mean, that's stupid because they immediately know that robbery was a no motive. Well, there's a lot of mistakes so far. Yeah, so the one guy three like... People right.
2: <laughs> three people in, broad daylight, three people, and you left... Her purse. Her purse.
1: Yes. And it didn't take long for them to figure out who killed her. So here's where more stupid actually amplifies, okay? So we're just going to go down the level of stupid for Did you. they think maybe there might be cameras? Oh, What? You mean there's cameras in today's (laughs) world? (laughs) Right. So Detective Spear, he identified a red SUV. Remember, uh, Edward Rivera saw the red SUV as a suspect vehicle. He got the license plate number from one of the parking lot cameras. And it's red. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Gosh. I think we're up to mistake number six.
1: I didn't even think about it. A red vehicle. I was thinking it was black. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, and then they trace a vehicle to an Avis rental car company. Oh, boy. And is it Camarillo? Is that how you pronounce it? Camarillo, Camarillo, California? Because, like, in New Mexico, we have, you know, a lot of Spanish. So, like, there's one street that people that don't know call it Lano, Orlando Estacado, and it's Yano because the two L's make it a Y.
2: I know. I just know Car- Carmel.
1: No, but that's this is far, Camar- Camarillo that's not, right. or Camarillo is what the city sure. is. Oh, and then it was rented to Pamela's husband, James Fayad's business, Goldfinger, with his corporate credit card.
2: Oh, Lord. We're up at number eight, I think, on stupidity.
1: So, you get, first of all, you hear blood curdling screams, and you, as a husband, you just stay on your phone while everybody else is running to them. You um, have your people. Oh, that, that are, was her uh, husband in the picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh. Then you have your <clears throat> criminals that there's now three. They rent a car with your business card under your car. business name, and it's red. Camera footage also showed the driver of the SUV trying to exit the parking garage, but he couldn't lift the lane barrier. So he put the car in reverse, did a three-point turn, as we learn in driver's ed, and went out the entrance in full view of the cameras, which is how detectives got the license plate wow. numbers. <laughs> After these geniuses killed Pamela, they then used their cell phones close to the murder scene at almost the same time as a murder, according to cell tower records. Two of the suspects also texted each other shortly before and after the murder, but they deleted those messages. You know, they made sure they're gone. Well, yes, you can actually pull them. You can't. <coughs> you can't pull those up. No. Oh my. So who exactly are these master criminals? We're going to get into that later. I want to get into the why, because most of the cases we do, they are going to be intimate partner homicide, because that's usually where you can see some red flags. Of course, we did do some, you know, like um, Ted Bundy and and some of those where, you know, a stranger on stranger and how you can protect yourself. But let me give you um, a glance here of... This is James and Pamela Fayed. Okay, that's her wedding photo she's beautiful she is and you can see how he's looking at her like it looks like he really loves her it does. in this
2: picture we've seen some that you look at the pictures and they look like contempt
1: yeah you can tell yeah. and that's important like if you're wondering how your husband or your wife feels about you look at photos especially candid photos not the stage ones for like Instagram no. or stuff but at family gatherings or you know real relaxed settings if you see the micro expression or the expression of contempt that's captured. That is uh, uh, hidden hostility or hidden jealousy, which does grow. It does in time. It, it gets does. worse. It does and. I don't remember the man's name, but he wrote uh, some books on marriage. And I think it's Seven Secrets to a Highly Successful Marriage or something like that. And he has what's called a love love lab. And he researches that stuff. And he can look at photos and tell you within minutes whether the marriage will uh, last past five years.
2: Well, you can see. And it's
1: Usually, a contempt. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Contempt, I think it's important. And jealousy.
1: Yes. Yeah. They were married in 1999. Pamela was described as having a personality that sucked you in. She made and sold jewelry. She worked really hard as a single mom because she had uh, one daughter before she met James. And she wanted a family, a man who loved her and her daughter. And then she met Jim. They called him Jim, even though his name was James. Right. He was an electrician, and he treated her daughter, Desiree, as his own. Desiree said that as she grew attached to him, said that she grew attached and they were close. So this right here... This is Desiree, and then James and Pamela had this little girl right here, and you can see in, uh, they have interviewed Desiree in Dateline. This is where I first heard about this. Yes, they were very close, and then this is them. He just looks like a pleasant man. He does. He doesn't look like a killer at all. Your neighbor. And I don't think he started that way, even though he's a poop bird. I, I feel like he did not start off the way he ended up. And that can happen. You know, that can happen as you're married and then life circumstances occur. It can change people.
2: Well, life circumstances, usually you get divorced.
1: Yeah, you, don't right. murder, you don't murder. You know. But as we've seen, money is a big money, motivator. Yeah. And that's what happens. Money and sex. Yes. Yeah. Desiree um, said that he was funny. Uh, Pam was quiet and gentle, but she also seemed like someone who could handle her business and Mm -hmm. she didn't back down if she needed to. And then, of course, they had a daughter as well. I don't know the daughter's name. I don't know if it's in my notes, um, but uh, they I think they kept her identity pretty tight. Money was tight when they first got married because she's an electrician. He was often contracted by the government and he had to travel a lot. And other times he didn't have work. And he'd have to go find some. And he did sound like a hard worker. He didn't sound like he was lazy. Right. Be it was stressful not working. And they argued a lot during this time because of that. And Pam thought about divorce two or three times because she wanted security. Uh, she even had to get on assistance, something that she said she would never, ever do. And I understand that. When me and Mike were first married, I tell people we were so poor, we were po. We couldn't afford the OR. And we were on assistance. For probably about uh one to two years and it was embarrassing it was back where you didn't have the card you know you had to use the stamps, the stamps. and then right after uh, right before we got off they moved to the cards which was better you felt you know and a little no one, more private yeah they never treated me bad but i was gonna do whatever i had to do to feed my Or you have
2: to if you really need it and we both worked
1: we both worked but yeah we were on um, food stamps for a little bit and then our son oh you didn't turn off your phone today (laughs) and then um Kent was on Medicaid actually the whole time he was growing up which I was very thankful for but it was embarrassing and so I can understand how she felt and then Pam now this is Pam that came up with this not uh Jim she came up with the idea of buying and selling gold coins. And then that morphed into a new business. So she was extremely intelligent. Around 2002, they started a business called Goldfinger Gold and Bullion. I love the name. hmm. I thought it was really I good. I love the name. And they just called it Goldfinger for short. And you can go to, if you'd like to get the little taps off, you can go up and put your phone on airplane mode. <laughs> i mean you just got fiber and stuff you know so, so i don't know how technology and things like that oh it is on that oh that's interesting it wasn't on it well I you it were on trying in yeah India. you were trying okay mm-hmm. so <clears throat> they start this business and camarillo remember that's where the business uh, again was located where they rented the car they started it there it was 52 miles from la and Goldfinger was a service where James and Pamela bought and stored precious metals for their clients. Well, so that's interesting. I'm
2: sure you'll get to it, but I'm going to ask anyway. Was it successful? It was very successful. Oh, good.
1: And the reason why, I mean, she it, I don't know if she knew this, like if it was, you know, luck, it was an idea that hit her at the right time, but it was right when gold prices took off and went through the roof
2: she may have known because she did she's in jewelry. jewelry she made and designed her own jewelry so. right
1: and uh basically they were rich very very quickly yeah it was like they went from rags to riches very fast i like I those
2: like, kind of stories i do
1: too i think it's neat you just want to make sure you have the right spouse
2: right well she Obviously. thought she did
1: they realized then that they can make even more money by getting into digital currency. So they launched eBullion July 4th, 2001. This business was incorporated in the county of Pan- or country of Panama, with business offices in California. I'm not sure if I understand it com- completely, but eBullion allowed for the instant transfer of gold and silver between user accounts for a fee. So in other words, it sounds like if I wanted to send you some gold, I could do it electronically, and then they were the ones that possessed the gold and could get it to you. So there was like a fee or something for us to be able to transfer each other gold and silver.
2: Well, Panama is a good place to do it. Panama, Mexico, yeah.
1: yeah. And from 2001 to 2008... E-bullion, and I remember hearing about it during that time, mm-hmm. grew to over one million users and fifty thousand ounces of gold bullion.
2: Wow! Yeah,
1: they even had a mention in Forbes. They said, "Quote: A Goldfinger customer could use a protected password to clear a transaction instantly for a two percent fee." To send someone $400 from the US to Germany and convert it into euros, for example, would cost $42 using Western Euro- Union and $16 with PayPal, but with a Goldfinger account, it would only cost you $8. Fayed stressed security and convenience. He offered customers a crypto card, which cost about $100 containing coded information to thwart hackers. He also issued $35 debit cards that let their clients draw down cash on their gold holdings at ATMs and MyShow terminals. Wow,
2: that's
1: so pretty smart. It's very smart. And so they made money off of the fees. You know, wow. so they sell the cards and the fees. And over a million Users, users, so they, wow, yeah. and I think I have how much they were worth. Um, but the Fieds they bought a home in Camarillo, so they had a, a second home on 200 plus acre ranch in Moore Park, California, too. Okay, so their business they have another home in Camarillo, and then they have a second home on 200 acres in Moore Park. Do you know where Moore Park is? No, okay, I don't, I don't. they called it Happy Camp Ranch. Oh
0: <laughs>
1: And then uh, they hired a, a ranch hand. His name was Joey Moya, and he moved into the second house that was on the ranch. So most of them have that. They have they do. a ranch they house. They do
2: for the people that run the ranch.
1: Life was great. Their family's doing well. They have their daughters. Uh, they're making very good money. They have some you know amenities. You know, they went from being on assistance to it's the American dream, right? But like yet. You, yeah, and then Jim got sick. Oh, no. Desiree said that he seemed to think he was unvin- invincible. You know, like he could do anything. He was strong. He was healthy. And then he was diagno- diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, no. Which is horrible. My great-grandmother Wheeler, remember? Did you meet her? Because I never got to no, meet her. No,
2: I didn't meet her,
1: no. Um, she had it. And I remember Grandpa telling me when they traveled over from Alabama when he was little to Texas... He remembers, first of all, going through uh, the town I live in yeah. uh, when he was like three or four, and he remembers a fiddler. And then um, she, they went over actually in a covered wagon when she had rheumatoid arthritis. I cannot I, now, imagine. I've had arthritis before in my hand.
2: And that really hurts. It's a constant, let alone the more serious. Yeah,
1: rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. Mm. It twists your limbs. It's awful. And it can also cause other things like, I guess, uh, not emphysema, eczema. Eczema, that's what it is. That's
2: just terrible. There's lots of things it can do.
1: He was bedridden for two years. Oh, no. Yeah. That's a bad
2: case. Yeah. That would make someone angry, a lot of thinking, angry on both parts,
1: especially him. And then if you have anything that's already annoying, Mm -hmm. it's going to be exacerbated. Yes, it is. And I guess he was controlling. And jealous. You know,
2: she's up doing around, doing her thing, doing the business, and he's in a bed for two years. I'm not
1: naturally like a jealous person because... I'm very confident in who I yes. am. I could care less. but I, I do remember when I had mono, right. and I had a friend that she had also had it, and she had gotten over. Yeah, you know, they're used to the clock by right. now, you know. Right. Um, but she had it, and I remember she was well at that point, and I would watch her leave my house in the summer, and it was all sunny, and she looked all healthy and tan. Right. And I remember, like, tears, you know, because I was thinking, am I ever going to get well? Because I had it so long because they didn't diagnose it. And so I could see that, you know, you're sick, you're in pain, but it appears that he was controlling before. Then he gets even more controlling when he's sick. and he In what way?
2: Like, were you going, checking on her all the time? In the business. Oh, the business. He he
1: started tightening his grip on that, even though it was her idea. He started getting more and more controlling. He also withdrew from the family and he would not get along with anybody. Depression, maybe, probably. So at this point, they separated. He moved out to the ranch, and she stayed in the Camarillo house. Now it gets worse. At some point, James got Goldfinger and E. Bullion involved in a legal Ponzi scheme. Oh. And I guess businesses oh, no. like his were really susceptible to it. And this is where it got really confusing. So let me try to, because it was confusing to me, and I'm pretty good at technology and all right, that stuff. You are so basically the online scheme would pose as investments in commodities like oil and they would funnel the money for clients so there'd be clients that had to get rid of some money that they didn't want to pay taxes on or were illegal one client crazy guy named abdul tawala ibn ali alash <laughs> oh, created tari created a, a mouthful a, whoo, created a virtual stock exchange called Fetty. Now, let me show you a picture of him.
0: I
2: cannot really benedict see you. All of my attention I've been given
1: called Fetty? Yes. This is him right here. Looks like a stand-up businessman. It, It does. Yeah. He doesn't look like he's shady at all. So he created FETI, and he claimed, quote, a physical presence in the UAE, and that it was backed by 125 billion in gold from some of the wealthiest families in the Middle East. So people could invest in FETI. Goldfinger became a, a vital conduit. They processed over one billion over seven years, generating 20 more. $20 million or more in fees. So basically, they would just process the money just like they did for other people that wanted to transfer, uh, and they made $20 million of, of, of the fee money from that.
2: Well, I imagine she didn't know.
1: No, neither one of them did. Yeah, oh, neither one of them did. Yeah, they didn't have any idea. They, oh, and that, that's no. what made it, they were susceptible to it. You know right, what I mean? right. In 2003 though, the Fayeds received sup- subpoenas from the Ontario Securities and Exchange Commission requisition e- cuz they wanted e bullion records linked to FEDI accounts. Oh no. Fayed froze Alishatari's accounts and then he sued and they settled out of court. So once he realized what right. was going on, he froze it all. But in February 2007, Alishatari was con- uh, indicted by the Justice Department for money laundering, wire fraud, and financing terrorism.
2: Oh, no. Remember, this
1: is post-9-11. Well, yeah. Which oh, we're my. recording this on the 12th. It yeah. was, you know, it's the yeah. 20-year yana- anniversary. anniversary anniversary Yesterday. <laughs> <yana-versary> yesterday. <laughs> So oh, he was indicted was in February of 2007 by the Justice Department for mon- money laundering, wire fraud, fi- financing, tyro- terrorism. Good grief. Maybe I need some wine. I, I want to say. The guy was actually Michael Mixon from Ardsley, New York. You know, I thought the
2: name did not, not match this guy right. when I saw the when you picture. You see his I thought, picture. What? He
1: doesn't look. Well, I wondered if maybe he was an African American that had converted to Islam. Oh, Because you know, well, sometimes true. he'll take they an Islam name. name. But no, no, he's Michael Mixon from Ardsley, New York. So the government didn't go after the uh, Fayyads? Fayette, well, it gets Fayette's. complicated. Oh, no. And it may have been a trigger to the murder.
2: Oh, no. So, and
1: actually, he did convert to Islam. Um, oh, okay. But he approved of uh, $177,000 in payments to Pakistan and Afghanistan to train jihadists and buy equipment. Oh. Oh, Now, James Davidson, I'm going to introduce him. He's a longtime friend of the couple, and he's also a gold entrepreneur himself, said that Pamela was increasingly disturbed by her husband's business practices. Now, I don't know, like on this case, it seems like he wasn't aware of what was going on. He took appropriate action. But he was definitely getting greedy. And so there were some things that he was doing that was bothering her that were maybe not necessarily illegal, but they were unethical, and they were opening them up for, you know, obviously this wasn't a good example um, of what happened with this Marksley guy, or Arksley, whatever his name
2: was. throughout, she's been, you know—
1: um, honest yes. and she's like a hard Girl worker. Scout. Yeah. Yeah, she's hard worker, she's honest, she wants to do things above board. And I don't think she
2: was drawn into it.
1: No, she wasn't. All. Yeah. Some people they enjoy money, but it's not their life. No. Others, money is a mark of how important and significant they are.
2: Yes, and you can always usually tell yes. the difference. To
1: handle wealth, it can't handle you. You know what I mean? I like
2: that. I like that.
1: You have to hold on to it lightly, and it has to have a purpose. It can't be just amassing money. Like I tell people, you know, making money is actually a science. It's very easy. It's not having it make you into a person that's greedy and and addicted because it's a game. Like money to me is like a game, making it, and that's fun, but you can't have it where it Turns you into basically a poop bird, yes, which he did. Mm. It appears that Fayed was issuing currency in excess of hard assets, meaning he was doling out currency with no gold to back it.
2: Oh, that's sort of a Ponzi scheme, I think.
1: Yep. And then she was also concerned about some of the people James had hired, including good old Jose Moya, because he was a former gang member. Remember, he's the ranch hand. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would hire. Now, her daughter, Desiree, really liked Jose, actually. He'd stop by the offices a lot, joke around. Uh, Fayette also added to his payroll Moya's brother, an ex-con, with a temper. Pamela had tried to get a restraining order against him, actually, in 2003, after he threatened another employee. Uh, So they all worked together. Now, you know, again, not all
2: uh, gang members are... Someone former you wouldn't gang hire, members. former mm-hmm. gang man- members. Right. Some of them really do turn their lives around.
1: Yeah, maybe. But if
2: you have to get a straining order against one of them, then that's an issue. That's yeah. a problem. Yeah. That's a beautiful house.
1: Yeah, that's one of their homes. Yeah. And then around April 2007, Pamela found out from her good friend Carol Neve that you had to have a money-transmitting license even oh. be doing that they had no idea they're entrepreneurs they're starting this this business and they probably didn't know some of the ins and outs of it. And so she finds out, oh, no, you have to have this license. You can't just be a money transmitter. You know, there's certain things. And she, Carol knew because she had a similar e-currency business. Pamela wrote a check because the license were very expensive for $400,000 oh to get that gosh. license. Yes. And that was on October 6, 2007. So she finds Ooh. out in April. She gets it done on October 6th. James was adamantly opposed to the license because he didn't want the books opened up to the government.
2: Oh, I was going to say it was the money. He didn't want the Uh money, but opened up to the government makes sense.
1: That was the last straw for him. He banned Pamela from the Goldfinger offices, fired her daughter, Desiree. And then filed for divorce, claiming that she embezzled $800,000 from Goldfinger. When, in fact, he probably did that. And she was trying to make sure they were protected. So, obviously, they're already having problems. Oh,
2: the $400,000, yes.
1: He's controlling. He's withdrawn. He's angry. He's hiring these shady characters. And now he's like, because she made their business legal, now he's mad and he files for divorce. What's
2: interesting, though, I would think as smart as she was, it was in both their names. Where she he she couldn't be banded from.
1: I wondered that too because I'm like, well, how could you be banned from your own business? It was her idea, so I'm not sure how the records or the business was set up. But is California a common uh, property state where you have to split it?
2: I don't know if it is now. It used to was not.
1: Okay, but yeah, I I don't know. I'm not sure because they still do alimony, I believe. Right. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, unbeknownst to the FIEDs, the FBI and IRS were investigating two Ponzi schemes flowing through their business. We already talked about the one right. that made Goldfinger over $9 million in 2002 and upwards to $160 million in 2007. So the huge increase of profit got the attention of the IRS and the FBI because they're thinking, okay, they have to be involved in some type of illegal activity. Greed. Investigators, however, they didn't believe that James or Goldfinger were directly involved. They didn't think they were trying to be shady. Oh, they didn't? Yeah. And I can't think of any, any of the research I did where they actually were. I don't think they understood that their business attracted this. They're probably thinking, man, we're getting these great clients. We're making a lot of money. What got the FBI and IRS's attention is that Some people were funneling money through them and they probably had no idea. So it wasn't like they weren't like investigating them as being crooked. They just knew that that upward tick of money, that drastic is a sign that that's going on. But wasn't he doing shady things? He was. I I don't know if it's necessarily shady. It just was maybe unethical or because it does appear that you had to have that license. But he you know, said they may not have known. The FBI got the indictment against the Fayed's so they could monitor the flow of bi- money to his business and then ferret out and uncover illegal money transmission. So that's what they were doing. At first, neither one of them knew. Right. And they also had been served um, a, a sealed grand jury indictment alleging Fayed had transmitted money without a license. They only did that so they could eventually put pressure on them. So basically, they're setting it up. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking that they are shady as far as the money part. But they did learn they didn't have a license, which is illegal, but it seemed like an omission. You know, they didn't know. They get the license, but already they've been operating as a business. So they have a sealed grand jury that they're not even aware met that then got the indictment against him, and they were going to use that to make them show their records. So they're just getting everything in place so they don't have any problem getting their records. That's all they wanted to do. And did they know that? The Not at first, but I do think later they did. So what's ironic is they use the very thing that Fayed didn't want, and that's the money license, to put pressure on them. You know, it's like Pamela tried to fix it, and he gets mad at her and files for divorce. And he probably blamed her. When that was the thing that could have gotten him thrown in jail. Oh, my gosh. At some point, it appears that Pamela found out about the investigation, and court documents reveal that Pamela's first criminal defense attorney had contacted an assistant U.S. attorney, Avis, and told him that Pamela wants to come in. Avis took that to mean that she wanted to cooperate with the criminal investigation, telling me that they must have learned at some point of this sealed indictment, right? Like, she Good had news. to know.
2: Someone told her, or she found out somehow.
1: But before they could meet, she was killed. Isn't that a coincidence? Mm Mm-hmm. But what's weird is I couldn't find any evidence that James knew about the indictment or that Pamela was willing to cooperate. So I'm not sure if that was his motive. I think it was the money. So you think it was a coincidence? But then there's later jailhouse comments he made that she couldn't keep her mouth shut. So I don't know. But it was hard. He, he could have found that out afterward. He could have Possibly. just said in
2: jail. She could, right. should have kept her That's mouth why shut. I killed her.
1: Yeah. The government had never gotten around to putting pressure on the defendant so they could go after the big fish because at this point she's been murdered. On top of this, Pamela went to court demanding sensitive documents from Goldfinger and E. Bullion. She argued that both companies should be joined to the divorce. In other words, she wanted her part of the pie and she deserved it. It was her idea. She it was her build idea. It.
2: She built it. Yeah.
1: So that tells me that maybe it was just in his name.
2: Well, I'm thinking because you know she just made and designed jewelry. Maybe she didn't at the time. Set up everything. and didn't have, you know, you know what I mean? Maybe, yeah. I don't know.
1: Pam also told a friend that she was being followed. And it had been happening for a while. She later realized it was Jose. See, that's a lesson, too, f- for viewers to learn. If you
2: think you're followed, take note, write a license plate, anything. And she did. She, she, she just, did. Yeah, she found oh. out it was
1: Jose. She knew it was him. Two weeks before the uh, murder... One of her friends, Tina, saw her and was shocked at her appearance. She had lost 15 pounds. She was in her PJs at a time of day where normally she's dressed. Her hair was a mess, which was very uncommon for her. And I can just imagine that she probably looked looked haunted and hunted. Wow. Did she do anything when she found out Jose was following her? I couldn't find that she did. But she did tell Tina, he's going to do it. He's going to have me murdered. Uh-huh. She knew it. She told her friend mm-hmm. Kind of wow. like Frank Spencer. He knew his ex-wife was going to have her dad kill, her, kill him, and he did. He knew exactly you know, how he died.
2: What's interesting, if you really think that, you tell a friend, you have to maybe go to the police? Yeah, but something. what are they going to do? They can't solve pre-crimes. Yeah, I always hate, like, even in abuse or crimes, you tell them, well, something has to happen before we can. Mm-hmm. So you have to die. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but some. Yep. Before they'll even do anything about it. Yeah.
1: And I, and I can see both sides. I can too. But to me, it's like, you know, I wonder if there's something they could do like this, for example. They go to the husband and they say, okay, we know you're having your wife followed by Jose, your ranch hand. We know he has a brother that was in a gang and he has a hot temper. We know that you guys are are having some legal issues and going through a bitter divorce if your wife is killed if one hair on her head right we're going to be here first i see i agree with that the only thing is and only a cop could answer is if they do that will that actually could that be used where later they say well they had their eyes on me from the beginning you know what i mean well i do But But it is like that. It's like, could they do that or would it mess up things later? But to me, it's like, okay, is it worth being a deterrent? Like we know, we know that you hate your wife and we're just telling you, you know, so like if someone goes to them and says, I'm being followed, I know he's going to have me murdered, blah, blah. It's a tangible, she can present some evidence to show it that they could have that conversation with other spouse. And would it be enough to deter them? Because they always think they can get away with it.
2: Yeah, and, and everyone reaches for the, oh, get a restraining order. Those aren't worth the paper they're written on. Mm-mm. Those aren't. There's, if, if a police officer telling you to stop following someone, stop stalking someone, they don't stop. Right. And a piece of paper is not going to make them stop.
1: But if someone like... Uh, James Fayed knew he could risk losing everything that and could've. go to jail. I wonder if that could be a deterrent, but there's probably reasons they been. can't. But it does appear that he had been planning this for a very long time. Really? When that, and that's why he started hiring these people.
2: Wonder if. Oh, so he wasn't sick when he was hiring them. So it was before he got sick. Because I was thinking maybe it was because he was sick. You know thinking oh Mm -mm.
1: and we saw this also with kelly clayton remember because Mm -hmm. her husband kept you know hiring you know people that were shady but so that that could be something you know to look at like if your marriage is on the rocks there's lots of money involved and all of a sudden one of the spouses has some shady people around them where they didn't before you might want to start looking or not even shady
2: but all of a sudden they're hiring new people Mm -hmm. when you're already full you don't need new people
1: or it's like a weird relationship where they're good friends with people that are obviously criminals right you know so Mm. they later learned that Fayad had tried to get her killed on a 4th of July party it was supposed to be a carjacking so that no one would ever know it was Fayad. so I'm gonna play you just a minute and 34 seconds of this. Make sure the volume's turned up. Some division of the property involved in the business. Jim Fayette did not testify, and he didn't make Worksman's defense any easier. The prosecution's smoking gun was that tape made by police and a cooperative cellmate. I told you
0: she knew found her boundaries. She 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 ran her mouth too much. She she went out of control. she just, sorry about her mouth. Wow, she had her mouth shut. Yeah.
1: On the tape, Jim describes how he hired someone to kill Pam and set up several scenarios to make that happen. But he says it was one missed opportunity
2: after another.
1: Four different occasions Okay, so four different occasions and you can hear him say she wouldn't keep her mouth shut. Yeah, and he's
2: telling a cellmate. Another bright move.
1: Yes. Yeah. The price tag for her life was $25,000. Police arrested him on July 29th, the day after Pamela was killed, but he refused to speak to investigators, and he was released two hours later. On August 1st, federal authorities unsealed the indictment and arrested James Fayad to get him off the streets. So remember, they had that operating without a license deal, so they used that to get him Put in jail.
2: Because he had the money. He could have
1: left. Right. So they had to do it quickly. They did. Yeah, he could have gone anywhere in the world where they didn't have extradition, treaties, etc. Now, remember, Pamela didn't like Jose or his brother, Anthony. And I think she was realizing that he was surrounding himself with these people. And more than likely, it was to get rid of her. But she, she saw her husband also turning into a shady character before her eyes. And she didn't like it. James was the mastermind behind his murder. He hired Jose Moya to kill his wife. Jose recruited Gabriel J. Marquez to help him. And then he recruited his nephew, Stephen Vicente Simmons, as well. Police believe Simmons is the one who actually did the killing. I don't understand why you have to have all these people help you kill somebody, but whatever.
2: Because one doesn't want to do it, so they get someone else, and then they, you know.
1: Yeah, it's weird. So on September 9th, 2008, a detective, Abdul, received word that Sean Smith, a cellmate who we heard on the, the clip of James Fayette in federal prison, wanted to speak to the police. So remember, he's not arrested for Pamela's murder. James Fayette is in jail for the operating without a license, and while he's in jail, he couldn't shut up And he starts talking to his cellmate, Sean. Sean's like, "Hey, I want to talk to the cops because something's up here." They wired Smith up, returned him to his cell, and that's when they heard the gold mine of information. You notice that gold mine? Gold mine. Yep. Goldfinger. 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 Yes. I thought that was very witty of myself. (laughs) So it appears that Smith came off as someone who could take care of loose ends for Fayed, because Fayed. Told him that he hired Moya to murder his wife Pamela, and he wanted to hire Smith's fictional uh, hitman named Tony to kill Moya since he would turn state's evidence as a witness. On September 15th, b- both Fayed and Moya were charged with first degree murder with special circumstances of murder for financial gain. At that point, the federal government dropped their charges. So now they've got fiad for murder. So they dropped the charges. Two years later, Marquez and Simmons were charged as well. All three defendants were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Well, what's funny is Anthony, who is a gangbanger, was never involved. He wasn't involved. (laughs) Yeah, he never did anything. I guess he just worked. (laughs) He just worked at the ranch.
2: You know, what's interesting about this case is she had red flags and she did see them. She did
1: see it. And she she was telling people. Yeah, she told people. But she just didn't have any probably way to get it to stop. I mean, how are you going to stop it? Wouldn't there
2: be more? There has to be more that you can do.
1: I don't know. I don't know if there is. I want you to hear some of the despicable stuff he told Smith. He said that he didn't, quote, want to be worrying about Uh, this every effing minute of the day when I'm out there. He didn't want to worry the rest of his life whether one of the defendants was going to fess up. He even drew a detailed map of his ranch and which house the hitman would find Moya. At another time, an officer passed her cell and the defendant said, quote, we're planning an effing multiple homicide, bitch. Leave us alone. Wow. He also said that he wanted to personally kill Pam, but he knew he'd never be able to get away with it. He stated that it would have been cheaper cheaper just to keep her. Oh, my God. Yeah, listen to this clip. You, you think it's no accident that Pamela Floyd was killed with a knife? You think that her husband deliberately, not just had her killed, but had her killed in the way that she was most frightened of? Yes, my belief. So, she was deathly afraid of knives.
2: I wondered what that meant.
1: So, police believe that he basically used a knife to scare
2: her. Not only scare her, but murder her. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sorry.
1: So he's an evictive poop bird. And he talks a lot. Yes, he does. Okay, so the trial was interesting as well. Before the close of the guilt phase, the trial court received several anonymous emails and voicemail messages alleging various instances of jury misconduct in just one week. Okay. The trial judge later said that she had never experienced anything like this in her 22 years on the bench. Then another anonymous email created an air of suspicion and doubt among the jurors. Then on May 17th, 2011, defense counsel brought in a letter he'd received that had an enclosed campaign brochure and cover letter from the prosecutor, Alan Jackson, which I thought the was funny. Well, yeah. So he received a, a enclosed campaign brochure, cover letter running for LA County DA. The defense was worried the jurors had received those materials too, which they hadn't. The court said there is someone out there that's trying to cause trouble. Defense also pointed the finger at Fayed's sister, Mary Mercedes. She was accused to tr- of trying to hire her sister's husband, Kurt Taboga, to kill Pamela,
2: her sister-in-law. Yeah. So
1: the whole family... Is jacked in the head. Is jacked up. Yeah. She evoked her Fifth Amendment right to incriminate herself because she wouldn't talk. The trial court permitted defense to question Mrs. Toboga about her conversation with Mercedes. She testified that Mercedes had called her several months before the murder and asked her husband, Kurt, a police officer in Wyoming, to kill Pamela because money was running out due to the divorce. Why would she... Unless that police
2: officer was shady, why would she ask a police officer?
1: I do Maybe not know. Maybe it was a
2: friend or shady. I don't know. What else could it Again, be? Again, they're
1: not that bright, it appears. The whole family. Yes. And, of course, Mrs. Toboga was, like, shocked. <laughs> she told uh, Mercedes, you've lost your mind. Unfortunately, Toboga didn't tell Pamela she was in grave danger. Because she the believed, police. Because she believed Mercedes was, quote, wasn't going to do anything and had just lost her mind temporarily. Okay, so here's a note to our listeners. If anyone calls you to ask you or your husband or any family member or friend to murder somebody, you need to let the potential victim know and you need to go to the police. Don't dismiss this stuff. I think one of the things that we've noticed the most now in season two People dismiss things. They do. Because I don't think in their
2: mind they think that it would actually happen. Right. But if someone says they want to murder someone or ask you to do that, you can say, oh, well, they lost their mind. But if they've lost their mind, it means that probably they're telling the truth.
1: Well, and what's frustrating is, did Mrs. Tobaga, or Toboga, or whatever her name is, tell her husband? If she did, then he needed to contact the L.A. County probably sheriff's department because he was a police officer and is i don't know so i don't know if she told him or if she just dismissed it as some weird fluke but don't dismiss things it's better to be paranoid and report than not
2: yes and weird flukes are you know like i don't know it's not saying hey can you hire somebody right i mean if you're hiring someone and you're serious about it I would never think, oh, that's a weird fluke or or they're out of their mind temporarily because I would think someone that asked that would keep going, find I somebody. I can se-
1: tell you personally, I've never thought of hiring someone to kill anybody nor calling someone to kill someone.
2: I've never hated anybody enough to do that, and I, and I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, it's just weird. Normal people don't do no, that. No, no. During closing arguments at the end of the guilt f- phase, the prosecutor asked, what do you think she might have been thinking? Those two or three or even four minutes when she had time to think, time to feel, time to realize what was happening. She would never again touch the hand of her daughter, never kiss the cheek of her other daughter, never see their smiling faces, and she had time. How long do you think a minute is? she had three or four. While all this was going through her mind, how long do you think that minute lasted? An eternity? Think about what she was going through. And I'm going to ask you to do that for just uh, for one minute starting now. And so I want to do that. Okay. I want to play a timer for one minute just so people can understand how long that would be when you know you're dying. one minute.
2: Wow, that seemed longer than a minute.
1: Yeah, and so you've got three to four.
2: That's terrible. I I imagine she was thinking of her daughters.
1: She was. The prosecution had her daughter read a letter they found with Pamela's personal property in a storage shed that Pamela owned. Desiree hadn't seen the letter. So in the trial, the penalty phase, they hand her this letter. She didn't even know it existed. Oh, she had
2: never seen the letter till the trial. and It was
1: dated July uh, 7th. 2005 and it says to my dear sweet baby girls please hear me and know that i am forever with you you are the fruit of my labor in this life and i am so proud of you both listen for my voice to guide you i want so much to hold you in my arms and kiss your sweet faces for eternity please keep my family together with gentle love and understanding you are all that exists for me now never abandon family is the only thing that is important Protect each other at all costs. Love you with all of my being, Mama.
2: She knew. Mm
1: -hmm. She knew. She knew. And I can't imagine the terror she felt just knowing it was going to hit at one point.
2: And, And the bad part is her daughter was hers. But imagine the other one, the younger one. Yeah. It was theirs. And her father.
1: Killed her mother.
2: Killed her mother.
1: He was convicted. He was sentenced to death. But again, that doesn't mean much in California. You usually die of natural causes. But there does seem to be a pattern of money, greed, and unhappy marriages in these cases. What makes this one particularly disturbing is you you have Blackthorn, who waited 10 years to kill her. Uh, Sheila did everything right. Pamela did everything right. She was aware of her danger, and both of them still died. But, you know, we
2: say look for red flags. Sometimes they see the red flags, But they feel there's nowhere they can go to.
1: I think that's the case here. Yeah. Where is she going to go? I mean, there's no crime that's been committed. I wish that maybe she had gone to the police because I couldn't find a record that she had to where if they knew about the FBI indictment, maybe they could have went ahead and got him off the streets if she feared her life was in danger. You know, like I just I feel I wish there was more that could have been done because if there was anybody that had a chance, she did because of that indictment. But it was that very thing that seemed to trigger him to finally decide he wanted to get rid of her. But again, he was already planning it for a long time because there there were already four attempts. Well, if he did it
2: like she she knew because she wrote the letter on the 7th Mm -hmm. and he tried by his own words on July 4th. Mm -hmm. So she knew. She may have known July 4th.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she
2: wrote the letter on the seventh, yeah. so she knew.
1: Yeah, yeah, she knew she's she probably die felt it.
2: she had nowhere to go to
1: get help. And and mm-hmm. with that said, we have resources uh, on our website podcast dot com where it's specific to help men and women because sometimes men, like you know, we talked about in the Frank Spencer case, there's resources that can help you phone numbers, websites. There's even one website we have where. When you're on it, if you hit a certain key or you click a certain button, it'll look like a weather website. So like if you're on it and the abusive spouse comes in, you just click and it immediately transitions to a weather.
2: Really? Yes.
1: Yeah. So they don't know that they're... Right. Looking for ways to get out. And the thing is, is, you know, there's also like on YouTube and Vimeo and all those places, there's, you know ways you can educate yourself if you're wondering. You you can learn about love bombing. You can learn about gaslighting. You can learn about all of those things and find out if maybe, you know, this is something that you need to be concerned about and get away. But I would say for sure, don't allow anyone to isolate you from your family. Don't believe anything mm-hmm. they tell you about why they want you to do that. Don't allow them to make you think Think that you're crazy and you're making up all the stuff that bothers you. Trust your gut. If you think something's up, it probably is.
2: Oh, yeah. Always trust your gut.
1: All right. So that's why we say, do you remember our saying yet?
2: No, I forgot already. I know the saying. I know be rude. Be smart. Be smart. Be rude. Don't be a victim. Thank you, my mm-hmm. sweet dog.
1: Do you- do you think you'll have it by the end of the I'll season? I'll write it down. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <coughs>